Welcome to Alabama Short Stories, when you're a little behind on your Alabama history. I'm your host, Sean Wright. Birmingham has its shares of statues around town. They're statues of people in Kelly Ingram Park, Lynn Park, the UAB campus, Samford's campus, the Birmingham Museum of Art, Five Point South, Rickwood Field, and the Alabama Sports Hall of Fame. Even Eddie Kendricks of The Temptations is on 4th Avenue North at 18th Street. I could go on and on about statues around town. The big three in Birmingham are Vulcan, Miss Electra, and Miss Liberty. And until 1989, they could see each other from their perches in and around downtown Birmingham. Now, the first statue to look over the bustling city was Miss Electra, who graces the top of the original Alabama Power Company building. She was dedicated in 1926, and her original name was Divinity of Light. Locals called her Miss Electra, which is much more fitting of a gold nude goddess who has lightning bolts in her hands and in her hair. Vulcan needs no introduction. Originally created for the 1904 World's Fair in St. Louis, he's been looking over the city from a top red mountain since he was moved there in 1939. Our Miss Liberty is a replica of Frederick Auguste Bartholdi's Liberty Enlightening the World, better known as the Statue of Liberty, which has stood in New York Harbor since 1886. The statue was a gift from the people of France to the United States. And to drop one more name, the interior metal framework was built by Gustave Eiffel. And I don't think I need to tell you why he was famous. In the 1950s, Liberty National Life Insurance Company was a growing company that got its start as the Heralds of Liberty in Huntsville in 1900. Over the years, the company grew through acquisitions and eventually a holding company was created called Torchmark that is now known as Globe Life, Inc. Well, according to company history, Heralds of Liberty was somewhat of a scam that was taken over by the Alabama Insurance Department in 1921. Robert Park Davison and Frank Park Sanford took control. They cleaned house and emerged as a legitimate company called Liberty National Life Insurance Company in 1929, just in time for the stock market crash. There's a lot more to this story, but let's stay on track. By the 1950s, Frank Sanford had long been the president of the company, and Liberty National had continued to grow over the years. They had an impressive office in Midtown in Birmingham, and what they needed was something to show off their office and their place in the insurance world. For years, the company had used the Statue of Liberty on its marketing materials and stationery. Sanford decided it was time to go all in and have a statue made and placed on top of the company headquarters. The company hired Lee and Archer Lowry, renowned father and son sculptures, to make the plaster of Paris form that the final bronze sculpture would be sculpted around. But first, Liberty National had to pay a fee to the Bartoli family of $1,000 for permission to make a copy. They could not find a forge in America that would cast the statue, so they had to go overseas. I'm not even going to try and attempt the French words coming up, so I'm going to depend on my friend Clement. The plaster was originally created in Sommervoir, Omarne, France. And then cast Société Anonyme des Établissements Métallurgiques à Duren et du Val d'Osner. The company wasn't even in the sculpting business anymore. They manufactured cast iron pipes. They did have history on their side. They had cast a replica of the Statue of Liberty before. The one that sits on the southern end of Ilocinia, 
an artificial island built in the Seine. It is also known as the Pont de Grenelle, Statue of Liberty. Thanks for the help, Clem. In a way, a pipe foundry was the perfect place to cast Birmingham Statue of Liberty. At the time, Birmingham was the leader in cast iron pipe, manufactured by companies such as McWayne, U.S. Pipe, and Asipco. Our Miss Liberty is one-fifth the size of the original and was constructed in almost the same way. It is a hollow shell with a steel armature supporting it from the inside. The bronze shell was coated with a special chemical to give it the same green patina as the original in New York Harbor. What's different about this statue is that Miss Liberty would be holding a torch with a live flame. Original plans called for an electric light, but Alagasco successfully lobbied for a gas-fired flame. Engineers at Alagasco created a system that had an electric self-starter in case the wind blew out the flame. The flame was lit only at night when it could be seen against the dark sky. A pedestal was created on top of the Liberty National Building that faced west along 20th Street. A steel beam was sunk deep into the pedestal to make sure that the statue did not fall in any kind of wind. Unfortunately, the statue is too small to venture inside like the one in New York but there was a viewing platform on the roof of the building just below the statue so tour groups could come visit and get close. I remember going as a child and being taken to the viewing platform to see Miss Liberty. We left with plenty of Liberty National swag such as pencils and tape measures. Honestly, I was probably as excited to get the freebies as I was getting close to Miss Liberty. When Miss Liberty was completed, the casting firm was so pleased that they had their own dedication ceremony before boxing her up and sending her to the port of Dunkirk to be shipped to the United States. The shipping was a primary concern. How were they going to get this 31-foot-tall, 10-ton statues from France to Birmingham? Well, the first thing they had to do was remove her arm. You heard that right. They took off her arm and torch to shorten the watertight crate she would travel in. It sounds more dramatic than it really was. It would easily be reattached in Birmingham. At Dunkirk, Miss Liberty was loaded onto the SS Velma Likes for her trip to the port of New Orleans. There, a crane transferred the crate to a rail car for the land trip north. Months before this moment, Southern Railways had checked the entire 355-mile route to Birmingham to make sure that the oversized container would have sufficient clearance the entire route. One low bridge, small tunnel, or overhanging light could spell disaster for Miss Liberty. To be extra safe, the entire journey was taken during daylight. They also did it on Sunday when there would be less travel. After an uneventful trip to Birmingham, Miss Liberty made the short trip from the rails to the Liberty National Office. She was uncrated, her arm reattached, stood upright, and then draped in cloth for the unveiling. There was a ceremony with music and speeches. Sculptor Archer Laurie was there, and Frank Sanford III unveiled Miss Liberty. Then the crowd watched her take the final part of her journey, 175 feet straight up. It wouldn't be the last time she moved. In the 1970s, Liberty National created Torchmark Corporation as a holding company, and they acquired Globe Life and Accident. By the 1980s, Torchmark entered the real estate development field and along with Drummond Company, created Liberty Park, a residential, office, retail, and golf development that was soon annexed into Vestavia Hills. Miss Liberty made her final move from Midtown to a new tower at the entrance to Liberty Park. 
you can visit Miss Liberty today. She's adjacent to the Greater Alabama Council Boy Scouts of America office. If you are traveling on I-459 south of Birmingham, she is prominently featured at a bend in the interstate. There are those who miss seeing her in Midtown, but her new home in the suburbs is much more her style. She's probably happy to leave the big city behind to those more risque statues. I hope you enjoyed this Alabama short story. If you enjoyed the story, do me a favor and tell one friend to give it a listen. You can subscribe to the podcast at Apple Music, Spotify, or wherever you prefer to listen to podcasts. See you next time at Alabama Short Stories.